0: The National Archives podcast series, SOE Service, Some Alternative Sources, presented by Neil Cobbett. Good afternoon, everybody. Uh, Thanks for coming along. What I'm going to take you through this afternoon is a a quick introduction to some of the SOE records for services. And I'm going to try and point out some alternative sources within the uh, SOE and other records for services of SOE personnel, and just a little bit towards the end about what happened to some of them afterwards and some sources you can look at. It's not meant to be exhaustive. It's it's meant to be a bit of a taster and uh, to get people started off. I'd just like to start with a record from SOE in the Far East, Burma, a personal log for an entry for a major Nimo, um, who was actually quite highly decorated. He was, in fact, a DSO. Um, If you haven't been able to find anything in HS9, this is really useful because it gives date of birth, next of kin, address, um, previous employment, and um, knowledge of Burma. With a lot of these records, there's a note on special qualifications. Um, people had uh, knowledge of uh, jungle conditions, etc. The local geography, um, which made them suitable to be recruited. And this um, this is part of a a whole ledger, which has quite a lot of entries in it. Um, I don't know how complete it is, but it's a significant and very useful record, especially, if, as I say, if you aren't able to find in anything in HS9, which is the series that contains the personal files. And related to this in HS1, you've got a set in a large box of these training cards. I'm sorry this slide's just a little bit faint. It's for a Mr BA or Bar Saw. Um, And he worked in the Ministry of Information in Delhi um, and then was released to work for SOE uh, in its Force 136. And this is useful because it gives his date of joining, um, some indication of his training for combat, um, and then his date of entry into um, military service with SOE. Whereas in Western Europe, SOE agents tended to operate undercover as secret agents, if you like, liaising with the resistance movements, in places like Yugoslavia and the Far East, where the warfare was much more open, uh, the SOE teams were organised into these forces and they were basically, again, open military groups. Um, They tended to recruit staff, personnel largely on secondment from the Army, so you may find that there are Army service records um, which may be available through the Veterans Agency or the Army Personnel Centre in Glasgow, Um, but they remain closed to the public, so any, any researcher will need the permission of the immediate family to access those records. Those records won't tend to give you a lot of detail. They'll tend to simply tell you that somebody was on secondment. But they may well give you the dates, which can help narrow things down and to identify people back here in the SOE records. Also in these uh, country series, and perhaps I should explain, HS1 is the series of registered files for SOE in the Far East. HS2 are the registered files for Scandinavia. Within the series, they're organised country by country. And you will find um, throughout these, um, whereas the training records and training cards in HS1 are are a one-off and only only occur in that series of records, throughout the the, uh, theatre registered files in HS1 to HS6, you'll find lots of pieces which are dedicated to decorations, honours, awards, etc., citations, and they're very useful records because (coughs) the citations will tell you generally what people did, but then you will also find within them um, mentions and descriptions of specific operations and the role that individuals played within them. So whereas this man, um, after the occupation of Denmark, uh, travelled around Denmark recruiting military personnel for resistance activities. If we go on to the next slide, um, we will see that this officer in Norway actually was involved in the destruction of a Parietes mine and the locomotives and equipment that were used to transport the product. Um, And you see this is a successful mission. The driving system, compressor, ventilation system, and all exposed windings were completely destroyed. The engine shed blew up. Um, If nothing else, SOE was a a very potent tool in the hands of the Allies in terms of uh, disrupting enemy activities particularly on the industrial and economic front, uh, where they could uh, bomb installations with much greater accuracy than the RAF could. Um, And an explosives expert with plastic explosives would know exactly where to plant the charges to destroy all the plant in the factory. The results of the RAF bombing could be quite devastating, but afterwards... The Nazis tended to be able to put production, um, get production running again, comparatively quickly. A lot of a lot of the German plant didn't run at capacity anyway, so um, they still had sufficient operating capacity for supplying the forces. Um, generally, I would say with HS1 to HS6 just as a tip, it's worth searching for honours, awards, decorations citations there'll be a few other terms that will come up as as we go through I want a slight change of scene to the eastern Mediterranean um, Major Patrick Lee Firmer um, is famous for um, his involvement in the kidnapping of a general, German general, General Kriper during the middle of the war and Kriper was uh, abducted and taken to Cairo for questioning, but it was also a great propaganda blow for the British and the Cretans that they could strike <coughs> back at the Germans and, and basically take the German commander on Crete out. Um, and you will see there's just a little description here of the, German, of the general's behaviour um, at the end of the first paragraph, Lee Firmer um, can, says that he certainly made no attempt to escape, but then it appears that he lost some of his items, like his Knight's Cross, which they tried to search for. Presumably he tried to leave it as a sign of where he was being taken for any Ge- German troops which were tracking uh, him and his captors. And. As I say, it was a very successful mission. You probably know it was made into a film, *Ill Met by Moonlight*, by the director Michael Powell. Again, within within the uh, theatre of operations records, um, and this is for the Balkans, obviously, Mm -hmm. you will find within the catalogues pieces or files which are labelled personnel. and this is uh, from a personnel file, which includes um, personnel file for Captain William Stanley Moss, who was Lee Fermer's uh, partner in the in the kidnapping of Kriper, but it also mentions um, the role of the, the the local Cretan resistors in supporting them, um, and um, which he lauds as uh, superb um you'll find you'll find a lot of you'll find a lot of material like this it's very uneven one of the things about the soe records is they didn't consistently create exactly the same types of record across the board with exactly the same type of information so you do need to search fairly carefully um and you need to get used to not simply making keyword searches on the catalogue, but browsing the catalogue for particularly um, the country sections. It's a little bit of a labyrinth, because with so many sub-series within each series, you may find it a little bit easier until you get used to browsing these to use the paper versions. Of the catalogues in the red binders in the research and inquiries area, um, just till you've got the hang of doing this. Staff on duty on the inquiry points will obviously be happy to show you how you can get into browse the subseries as well. Um, but finding finding these types of these little blocks of personnel records, and they're usually catalogued as personnel A to C or D to F or whatever. So they're not actually name-searchable. You just need to find the appropriate alphabetic section and order it and go through and see if there's a record there for the person you want. Again, they're not entirely consistent, and you may find, depending on the background of the person and what they did after the war, um, that there is or isn't a file for them. If you go to HS6, which are... The records for SOE in Western Europe and go into the sub-series for France, you will find at FO568 and onwards a whole series of circuit and mission reports and debriefings. This is for one of the more famous SOE operatives um, in France and worldwide, um, Francis Kametz, who was one of SOEs, Lieutenant-Colonels, in France. Um, I selected this bit because you'll find all sorts of information on individuals' participation in missions and operations within these reports. They're they're very useful pointers to other records. I just particularly like this little paragraph because Kametz went to France, came back to Britain and returned. And when he went back, he was able to pick up two or three sets of identification papers and credentials, which he was able to do through official French registries. So the records that he had were actually genuine for different personalities. And the cover that he built for himself was... Um, very deep, so that his um, his existence appeared to be completely different um, from that of uh, a lone organizer of a massive S O E circuit called Jockey in Southeast France, which organized something like ten thousand resistors and helpers and auxiliaries. Um, and that circuit was quite key in keeping the Route Napoleon open uh, in 1944 in August for the advancing American troops who were advancing up towards Grenoble and uh, towards sort of central eastern France. Uh, again, I think it gives a, a, a sort of fairly good idea of, um, also of that to be a, a secret agent relied on having adequate cover and having all sorts of credentials and identification um, that would back up your story that you were who you said you were, um, if you were, if you were stopped and searched and questioned by the Germans. There are two other very major series of SOE records that I think it's worth um, looking at quite carefully. Um, one is HS7, which is the SO. SOE, Section Histories and War Diaries. They contain a lot of useful background information on the context of individual circuit and mission targets. And this should help you relate to um, individual agents' targets or the targets of missions and relate them to the wider context of military operations and objectives. So, for example, you may find you may very well find that there are items relating to um, the activities of SOE in Southeast France in relation to um, the invasions by the Americans and French troops in the south of France um, so that you can see how one tied in with the other. Um, And you can search um, either by theatre or region, I think, or by most usually by country. Um, But the the other thing is the information's been sifted. It's a little bit higher level, a little bit more general. But you will find very useful narratives there that help you anchor the rest of your research. Okay, Um, The other series I wanted to mention is HSA, which is the SOE headquarters papers. Again, this contains a myriad of of different types of records from um, records of payments for winding up claims for helpers or agents recruited um, and um, material on citations. Uh, Again, the citations are really useful because they help you to relate individuals to... Their place within SOE in terms of missions or circuits operations, um, and basically you will you will find um, you'll find a general description of a person's work, and then if you go through, you'll usually probably find more detail on their specific actions or their specific involvement in operations. Um, I've I've chosen a lot of these fairly arbitrarily, um, partly because they just struck me as interesting when I when I came through, um, but again, there isn't anything that's necessarily completely typical or atypical about any of the records. You you will find a lot of variation, um, but the the citations, again as I say, are a useful source, um, and you can use them in conjunction with the records in HS6 for France um, in the operations records and um, build up a picture that way. There are obviously in HS9, the personal (coughs) files, um, not necessarily a complete set of personal files And you'll you'll quite often find that people aren't there. Um, On the other hand, you sometimes find that there are a lot of people that you don't expect to find there, Um, members of the the French RF section um, and the French organizations organizing their part of the, the underground resistance. You'll also find in HS9 files for um, Office of Strategic Services personnel. The Office of Strategic Services was the American equivalent of SOE. And later in the war, around D Day, um, teams were dropped known as JEBRA teams, which were three man teams with one British, one American, and one French officer. And um, so you'll, because these officers work with SOE, in the Jebras, you tend to find files for them just to explain why there are people there that you wouldn't necessarily expect to find. Um, But these certificates, um, quite useful. Um, Bottom left, um, it tells you what the award was. Um, A lot of the rest of the entry in the the lower row, I think these are sort of administrative um, entries, um, if, en- if anybody knows the meaning of them, I'd be very interested. But it does give you the name, the status, and, of course, top right, it tells you that this man was uh, a member of the SOE F section, the British-controlled section in France. Just to complicate matters, so that there were about six SOE sections operating through France. F section, which was the British-controlled section... Um, RF, or Rassemblement Francaise, which was the French Goalist-led section. Uh, DF, which were the, the body lines or escape lines. There was a, a Polish section in France. And later in the war from 1943, there was a, um, a section known as Massingham, which was organised from Algiers in preparation for the landings in the south of France to support the resistance in southern France. Um, It can be a little bit confusing, but um, you should be able to find your way around this. Um, I'm going to come on to books in the library and I'll say a little bit about about the sort of books that you might want to use in support of any kind of research um, a bit later on. There were casualties. Um, These are records of the SOE security which dealt with these matters. Um, the man named at the top Robert Benoit was a member of the Prosper Circuit which the Germans penetrated in a series of sweeps of the French resistance in 1943 these were quite successful um, and they captured quite a lot of people as a result throughout France and they were deported via holding camps to Um, death camps and concentration camps further east um, and this gives you the date of this man's execution from after D-Day and particularly in 1945 in the closing period of the war um, the Germans began executing the SOE personnel that they captured, um, often quite brutally. This is just by way of saying what happened to people after their active service, but only in this case, not in every case. Um, Going to skip back to HSA because, as I said, Yugoslavia and the Far East were rather different from the the modus operandi in Western Europe. Um, The the partisans under Tito were engaged in open warfare against the Germans. and the British personnel who went there um, tended mainly to be military personnel. There there were some civilians. Um, As I said earlier, you may find or be able to find military records. You won't find find a lot of records on personnel for Yugoslavia. However, there are some other records that are really useful. about halfway down this listing of, of the different types of um, records contained in this piece, you'll see an abbreviation, BLO's, BLO's Reports. Um, these are the British Liaison Officers, and these reports are really useful sources, and you can search for them in HS5. Um, I think that, I think they're in alphabetical batches. There may also be some, I think, in uh, War Office 208, which are records of military intelligence, that there's (coughs) a certain amount of overlap with these records. Um, But these tend to be very useful, coherent reports, which link together whole chains of events. So you can situate what individuals were doing against a background um, and contextualize things a bit more. but you just see having a look at this list that it's quite it's it's quite diverse, you know, everything from a list of Allied personnel infiltrated to an exfiltrated from the partisans, missions and personnels, um a list of personnel infiltrated to the Mihailovich, the uh, uh the Chetnik forces, or or one of the Chetnik organisations. Um and, and lists of British liaison officers and other officers. Um, th- this, is, this is quite a useful little file to have a look at. I don't think it's complete, though, by any means. A, l- a lot of the SOE records were destroyed by fire accidentally at the end of the war. Um, what we have is, is mostly very interesting. I think a lot of the records that were destroyed were possibly administrative or office records, but there are still big gaps, big holes in the records, and you need to bear that in mind if you're researching SOE. Again, I want to just slightly um, go off on a a tangent here. SOE was organised under the auspices of the Ministry of Economic Warfare, um, which partly came under the Foreign Office, but given that SOE operated abroad and it quite often operated in... uh, in neutral countries and very extensively in all of the americas and so we had a made and the its sister organization the political warfare executive had a major role in security propaganda and intelligence in america before america entered the war but also throughout latin america so you will find reports within the Foreign Office correspondence, and FO371 is, uh, is the correspondence of the political departments of the Foreign Office, um, and you'll will, you will quite often find reports on um, events involving SOE activities, not necessarily mentioned by name, which makes it sometimes slightly difficult searching the indexes for exactly what you want. You may want to go to the country in question and just look through the index listing of subjects. There may well be something on war activities. Um, For neutral countries, obviously, there shouldn't, and there was a certain tension between SOE and the Foreign Office over this. In in certain countries, like Portugal and Spain, it was a very sensitive issue because um, obviously the Foreign Office didn't want SOE to do anything that might drive... Um, Salazar or Franco into the arms of the Axis powers, but there were quite strong reasons for SOE to to operate there. Um, You can search by year and country in the FO indexes, have a look through by subject. If you're not used to this body of records, it's been very heavily weeded and the index books for these records will contain myriad references to documents that unfortunately no longer survive and that isn't always apparent until you've ordered these up so I I would I wouldn't use this as sort of one of your your main sources because you could spend a lot of time looking for for material that that just doesn't survive but it it can be very useful um, to look in FO371 for records relating to Operations in neutral countries. For for example, there's Foreign Office um, correspondence on the uh, Operation Postmaster in Fernando Poe in 1942. I think basically they they um, they wanted to close down um, German ships which were transmitting details of uh, Allied shipping movements, etc. Um, and, and there was some quite severe fallout because it was basically um, quite a breach of neutrality. Um, and again, you know, you'll know, you see material on political relations with neutral countries. The Foreign Office also had dealings in honours and awards. Um, the citations and recommendations that you'll find in the HS record group are like the recommendations in W373 for the War Office. They're they're recommendations rather than the actual citation for the award as it was announced publicly. So first of all, the recommendations can be very much more useful um, if, if they're full. But in order to make an award to a foreign national or to a British national, this had to go through the diplomatic protocols because... Um, we wouldn't want another country's government making an award to one of our people directly. I mean, it implies sort of negation of sovereignty and their citizenship, but um, also any kind of award would need to be vetted diplomatically to make sure that the act for which it was granted was in line with uh, His Majesty's, as it was then, government's policy, and interest. Um, This is for a George medal for um, Christina Scarbeck, also known as Christina Gizichka, but known um, under her SOE name Christine Granville. She also had various um, other nom de guerre or code names. Um, In France, she was uh, Pauline Armand, but she had other codenames elsewhere Um, she served initially in Eastern Europe in the early stages of the war um, and smuggled money, uh, propaganda material and other items in for the Polish resistance Um, and also for a period helped um, escapers and evaders to get out of Poland and through to Hungary where they could make their way back to um, one of the Allied countries. It was, uh, it was, it was quite important work. Um, the other thing that she... Well, one of the other things that she's famous for um, was that herself and uh, her then-partner, Andrew Kennedy, Andrey Kowarski, brought to Britain or, or gave the British the plans for the troop movements for the Germans' preparation of Operation Barbarossa. Um, which, which is sort of one of the biggest intelligence coups of the war. And, of course, the British had a lot of these information on this. The, prob- the problem was <laughs> getting it acted upon adequately. Um, I've got a series of, of records about Christine Granville. She's um, a highly decorated SOE agent. She served in various different theatres of operations, um, She consistently acted bravely and virtually every chapter of her career would have have filled out the service record for any other agent but but there are several of these. Um, When she had to leave Eastern Europe she went to Cairo um, where she um, played an intelligence role for the British in in terms of what was happening in the Cairo centre. Um, You can can read about this in Claire Mulley's biography of Christine called The Spy Who Loved, and I'll come, I'll come back to books again when I talk about the library. At the end of the war, obviously, for the Eastern European agents, things weren't very easy, um, and there are three, three sources for um, looking at their attempts to gain uh, naturalisation so that they could remain in the West and have um, a legitimate citizenship based largely on their wartime services. Um, Christine had a very difficult period after the war. It was difficult for her to settle down. There were difficulties about her grant of naturalisation. One of them was that she had um, a previous marriage, and a marriage that hadn't formally been dissolved, and nor was it known whether her husband had actually died. They'd separated some years before. Um, One of the conditions of her application was that she was um, able to show that she wasn't still married to a Polish citizen, which would have made her ineligible to apply for British citizenship. Eventually, um, the Poles gave her this uh, um, certificate of legal permission to contract a marriage, um, and this, and... um, A bit of pressure applied by former SOE colleagues and superiors helped convince the Home Office that they should grant the naturalisation. And you can see, as well, this is the part of the certificate with her particulars. Um, And she's still, at this point, apparently giving this address, General Headquarters, Middle East, Cairo, Crown Service. as part of her particulars, whereas in fact at this point she was, I think, living in London, um, but but people had to go through the hoops of for giving formal official details of where they had been, um, and this was also to reinforce um, her application. Um, if you look at the other side of this, though, the the de- and it's it's actually. Having a w- worth having a look at this because um, on the other side, when you see that sh- where she was, uh, where she actually took her oath of naturalisation, um, was was back in this country, um, and and a lot of this was, as I say, was uh, I, w- I won't say it was an entire fiction, but um, to just say that the the facts didn't necessarily. I mean, the 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 facts as presented in the certificate didn't necessarily marry up with the reality as it was at that point um, again um, andrzej kawurski her sometime partner had to apply um, again a very larger than life figure um, he'd been a polish army officer before the war he lost a leg um, and he had constant problems having the artificial limb um, refitted um, because of the further damage that it caused um, at the point of amputation. Uh, and again, you can see that although he gives his occupation as serving officer, he's, he's basically giving a bank um, as his address. And I've, for, a lot, for a period after the war, he lived in, uh, in Germany, um, and friends visited him. Um, it, it was a slightly nomadic existence. I mean, Europe was a, at this point was a bit of a melting pot with, I think, probably millions of displaced persons and people who ad- effectively become stateless. Um, okay. HS thirteen is part of a sequence of series of records for SOE. Um, HS eleven to HS. 20. Some of these are indexes of citations. But some of them, when you order up, you will see at the top, this says Bayswater Index. Um, Bayswater is um, a reference to the SOE security sections. And they were responsible for all aspects of SOE security, including security in the field. uh, SOE wasn't quite like the professional intelligence service. People came in from all walks of life. It was quite difficult to run it as a sort of watertight organisation from a security angle. Um, certainly MI5, the security service, picked them up again and again for what they felt were serious lapses of, of security. Um, but these these sets of index cards are interesting where they are the Bayswater indexes because um, what they appear to be are field security indexes. And if you, if you get one of these boxes, you will look through and you will see that some of the cards are cream cards and others are a kind of orangey red. The, the cream cards tend to be for, um, as, as it were, friends or co-operators of SOE and the orangey-red cards are for enemy enemy agents or collaborators, it would appear. Part part of the problem with this is um, I I haven't found anybody who, for for the whole of this sort of sequence of records, has has got a very precise definition of their provenance within SOE um, or their purpose. Um, But this appears to me to be largely what they are. And this is for a man who basically was the the head of um, the youth section of uh, the service travail obligatoire, uh, which was the compulsory labour service. Uh, The Germans basically conscripted French and other workers to go to Germany. They worked in um, pretty terrible conditions. Tens of thousands of people died under this scheme. I I mean, I think it's something like 140,000 French um were conscripted and and the death rate was just enormous. Um but um whereas the uh, the service was was compulsory um and and people were conscripted compulsorily this this man attempted to tempt um French workers in by t- by telling them that uh, they wouldn't be sent to Germany. Um, and, of course, the, hu- the whole thing bred an enormous amount of support for the Mackie, for the resistance in the rural areas, because thousands and thousands of young French men um, left the towns and went and basically hid out in the countryside with the resistance groups um, or in remote areas like the Vercors that it was difficult or dangerous for the Germans to try and access, except in heavy force. Um, and later on, in 1944, um, these, these groups of, uh, of young men began to be trained and armed uh, to act in support of the, uh, the Allied landings after, uh, on and after D-Day. Um, and just finally... Um, HSA stroke 1013 is, is a ledger um, I don't know quite how many entries it's got thousands I think but it's, it's quite useful because if all else fails um, and you can find an entry here you'll find some quite basic information um, in the left hand column you'll, you'll find the person's rank or status um in the second column their their role. Um, just in the little bit um, in the margin where the, the centre of the page is, um, somebody's entered whether there was a personal file for them, and then you've got the name on the right. And I, I couldn't I couldn't resist this one. Um, <clears throat> this must have happened with countless people, but I opened the volume and it opened at this page and I scanned down and the entrant, entry for Brigadier um, C. McVeigh Gubbins. Um, Colin McVeigh Gubbins was the uh, third director of SOE from August uh, 1943 onwards, um, in the period when SOE began to work more closely with the War Office and the Army in preparation for the liberation of Europe. Um, anyway, Um, As I say, this this hasn't meant to be exhaustive. I'd like to say a few things quickly um, about books and the library. Um, It's very, very useful before you undertake research to do a bit of secondary reading, so that you can spy out the lie of the land. Um, You know, you can find glossaries that explain abbreviations. You can get a bit of information about particular individuals and where they fit in, and you can get a feel for how SOE was organised. Um, we, have, we have quite a useful... I mean, it's not an exhaustive section on SOE in the library, but it will certainly be very useful if you're, um, if you're researching anything on SOE or you're, if you're a member of staff, if you're assisting a member of the public with their inquiries. Um, <coughs> There are a series of books by MRD Foote on SOE and its organisation and background. Um, He also wrote on SOE in France and Holland and other theatres of operations. There are books by Roderick Bailey on SOE in Italy and Albania and by C.G. Cruikshank on um, Scandinavia and the Far East. There's a lot else there as well, and and also there are a lot of biographies because they're actually really accessible ways for people to to access the whole thing. Um, Some notable ones that we've acquired recently are Claire Mully's biography of Christine Granville, The Spy Who Loved. It's particularly useful because if you have a look at the back, there's a bibliography and a list of sources. which A, indicates that she really did the work for the book, um, but it's actually very useful sometimes to see where somebody else has actually gone, the sources that they've used. Um, other works, Paddy Ashdown's work on uh, the Cockleshell Heroes mission and the, the new book on their uh, core, um, Cruel Victory. Um, and you'll find with these, again, that they've got... Um, very very good source notes in them and they're worth looking at. Um, you can make a search on the library catalogue by the author's name or the name of the work or by country or just search for SOE or special operations executive. It, it, it really is worth doing though because you may find that somebody's partly travelled the same ground already that you want to go over um, and um, it, it will really help. Anyway, I hope this has been useful for everyone. I'd just like to thank everybody for coming. I hope you've enjoyed this as well. Thank you. This talk was recorded on the 5th of June 2014 at the National Archives, Kew. This talk was sponsored by the Friends of the National Archives. This podcast is copyrighted to the National Archives. All rights reserved.